0: Welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing books that fill the hole in your heart after we have lived without Succession for the last few months. The TV show Succession that was on, was it on HBO? I yes. then so. um, the Roy family. And we we won't give any spoilers to how the show ends or anything like that, but we're we're going to talk a little bit about our love for Succession and where this idea came from.
1: That's I'm glad there's no spoilers because I haven't gotten to that point yet. Yes, so I know you have that. We won't I would give be it. Sad about we, that. Yeah.
0: So let's first talk about just what Succession is in general, and then we'll talk a little bit about our experience with it. So Succession is about the Roy family. It opens with the patriarch of the family who has built up this huge media conglomerate. It is extremely wealthy. And it opens the very first episode with a discussion about who is going to succeed him. And the, his eldest son is sort of primed to succeed him. Then he has a medical emergency. And so it's a scramble to think of, okay, is, is the oldest son going to step into this role? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the patriarch backtracks and says, no, 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 I'm not ready to mm-hmm. give it up and and he recovers from this medical emergency and so there are these four children or it's not the eldest son excuse me it's the second eldest son oh yeah because there are four kids one is from a prior marriage or relationship and then the other three are all from the same mother so they're sort of grouped together and then the oldest connor is kind of off on his own kind of doing his own thing throughout the show so it's the oldest of the kids that were from Uh, the mother that you actually meet in the show. But anyway, so there's this... Most of the drama of the show is all all about the business and who is going to be in the father's favor to step into leading this huge media conglomerate after he steps away from it. And it's uh, basically among those three kids. And there's lots of backstabbing and there's lots of drama... There's lots of interpersonal alliances that then fall apart because somebody changes their mind, and it's just <laughs> secrets galore, and it's it's extremely well acted. It's extremely well written, in my opinion. It's a show that really felt unique to me, and I didn't know many other shows that, that liked it, in that they're all kind of awful people, mm-hmm. and that you would watch and think to yourself, oh, maybe I'm feeling sort of sympathetic towards this one character because they're starting to show more of a vulnerability or some side of them that you think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe they're not so bad. And then they would immediately do something awful and you think, no, they're pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was fun to watch. It's, I don't know. I like watching just, we've talked about this with books. I, for some reason, reading about
1: terrible rich people is really fun. And so is watching TV about terrible rich people. I, I co-sign on that because <laughs> it's one of my favorite genres is terrible rich people being terrible. Um, but it is it surprised me a little bit that it's not they're insanely wealthy, but we don't see the wealth, I guess in the way that I'm used to from something that's more like gossip girl kind of, kind of stuff where it's sort of about the showing the, the conspicuous consumption. It's more seeing their wealth and how terrible they are to other people Mm -hmm. as a result of that wealth. And so it's sort of a different take on, on what I've, read more uh, and watched more of that like oh there's lots of parties kind of, kind of right well, right so that's not exactly how that how this plays out so yes and that's um, one of the things yeah.
0: when i was watching the show and i don't think this is giving anything away to say this is i kept thinking why do any of them care who gets to lead this business. They are so rich. They don't need to work. And I just kept thinking, they could go off and do anything at this point with all this money that they have. They could start a new business. They could do all these things. But it's all about the legacy. And it's all about their father's expectations and different things. So I I understand why. why, But the realist in me was thinking, if I had billions of dollars, would I care this much about having a job? I don't think so.
1: Yeah so yeah, where it's pretty it's pretty goofy where are you in your watch i'm in like the fifth episode i am oh, not far at all okay, okay okay yeah yeah so i just got to the part where he basically says i'm coming back yeah and um so so part of it is that um i lost access like hbo max did a weird split thing mm-hmm. that they they changed up how their uh how their streaming services go and so I lost access to my source ah. <laughs> and um and so then just reinstated that and so I was I so I watched two episodes a while ago and then was was like oh yeah I'm really I'm into this although it's sort of just picked up like this last episode I watched really picked things up where mm-hmm. where you sort of start to see some of the secrets that they've been keeping mm-hmm. uh, like like all of the backstabbing and sort of sort of uh finagling of right relationships and stuff that was compelling but it wasn't as compelling as like oh my gosh they have that secret that they're holding out on right. that was that was a lot more fun and so that's starting I think to to pop up a little more a, a, a little bit more and so I'm enjoying that but I also I don't understand any of the business oh don't yeah that's stuff. all just
0: like Charlie Brown's teacher on the phone being <laughs> totally like, yeah. totally
1: I, I never to for play. however many seasons
0: but four or five seasons that I watched, I never understood the business i mean there's are some overarching big things that you kind of
1: know are going on but on an episode yeah. to episode basis i never knew i was well so on the it. first episode i had to put on the subtitles i'm like what are the events? i don't know how these they're double crossing each other in all these different ways but i don't understand it because they're because because it is more realistic talking in yes. the way that they they that it's written in the way that they don't super enunciate how they're saying things and just so many like little snippy things that they say to each other but it goes by so fast so i ended up turning on the the subtitles and i still don't understand the business but at least now i know when someone's being a jerk too Yeah. yeah
0: so we were talking about we watched this at my parents house when it was the finale and so we watched a couple of episodes all together with my parents and my sister and i think my nephew was there but anyway it was a big family party and my parents watch all of their tv with subtitles on and we talked about this that there were so many things that because we watched an episode that I think I had already seen because somebody in the group hadn't seen it yet so we were catching up and there were so many of those little asides and usually mm-hmm. as insults that I had not caught when we were watching it live that I didn't or you know without the subtitles that I didn't even realize I had missed. But then yeah. I was watching and thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this than I realized. So yeah. you're a smart cookie because I didn't do that. And I'm sure there was a lot that I missed. We also <laughs> talked about, if have you ever watched a show Veep? Yes, okay. I love Veep. But... This is like the drama version of Veep in terms right, of right, right. the writing and the, the insults that they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Well, I, yes, I have. Finished, obviously. I kind of referenced that. We watched, I think, the first two seasons during the pandemic, caught up. We had heard about it, so we caught up. And then we've watched the last couple of seasons in real time, week to week. So I'm very sad it's all over. And we had, I think you and I had talked about doing this episode back when this season started, and then we decided to wait until it ended, and then we got kind of delayed on. And actually recording for for a little while but I'm guessing there are still people who haven't watched it or watched it and are missing it so yeah um, so the, these book suggestions are for all of you <laughs> um, all right before we get into it do we want to just mention you had some exciting travel recently and so once again we're going to apologize for our long delay from the last episode to this one but you
1: you had some fun places to go yeah I went to France and it was it was not overrated and I really wanted it to be overrated because it's fun to make fun of the French but it was amazing <laughs> and they're not overrated no. it was <laughs> everything was amazing France is um great It's pretty great but so I, I went to uh eastern France um with my family and and was staying in a smaller um city there and went to Mont Blanc and kind of did all like things in that area and then did just a couple of days in Paris at the end and that was pretty satisfying since I've studied a lot about Paris in my college years and so to finally see a bunch of paintings that I knew way too much about and lots of locations that my sister kept saying, how do you know about all this? And I was like, I don't know I just I just learned a lot about it so, so that was really fun. but I am I think officially out of vacation days for the rest of the year <laughs> so we don't have any more big uh, planned I should say knock on wood um, breaks coming up so hopefully we can be more consistent yeah so and then you went I did I went to Taylor Swift
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was amazing it was amazing I loved it it was everything I hoped for and more it was awesome there's nothing like being surrounded by 70,000 people who are all just as excited as the person next to them to watch a concert and it was just amazing it was so much fun i i know tickets are in short supply but if if anybody has the opportunity to go and you're waffling about going i would say <laughs> definitely go it, it's amazing uh to see her do her thing and it was really 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 fun so and now i'm sad that i don't have it to look forward to but i'm so glad i got to go
1: yeah it was it sounded I was excited for you to get to go and so I've been excited to listen to how that went yeah it was yeah it was amazing it was really great all right let's go ahead and share our first books okay so my first book is The Heiresses by Sarah Shepard and I should say that I went with all genre picks because that's what I read. And so um, everything I'm talking about is not at all the tone of the show, but there are some things that made me think if someone is like me and enjoys this show, but uh, wants to look for some different facets in the books that they're reading, then that's that's kind of the direction I went. So um, this is much more chiclet than you'll find in succession, but I liked it because it's about a New York City family institution that looks one way from the outside, but is actually filled completely with infighting and backstabbing. So the family in this case is a Saybrook family and they're famous for their jewelry empire. and. The daughters of the family are known for their impeccable taste and their fashion icons but they're also very smart and very accomplished and they they work in this family business so the first sign that something is wrong with the family is when one of the daughters um or i guess it's not just daughters it's it's cousins and, and they're all involved um, but one of these women is named poppy and she falls from the balcony of her tribeca loft and everyone is shocked and they think it's it must have been suicide, but that seems totally out of character with with her and what she had going on in her life. So uh, soon after this, four other Sabre cousins received a message that says, one heiress down, four more to go. Ooh. And that's very, yeah, very ominous. And they each have a different role in the family and in the family business, but they're aware of uh rumors of a family curse and that there are secrets that they're keeping from others and that there's family secrets that have been kept from them and so they start to become fearful that they're just being picked off by a murderer so um it's been a while since i've read this book i think i read it before it came out and that's been probably 10 years but it has a very very breezy Tone to it, um, in in like a Gossip Girl meets Succession kind of kind of way, and if you know Sarah Shepard, um, most likely it's from her Pretty Little Liars series. So if you know how that plays out, this is like an adult version of that book, and so I picked it for for that reason that it's it sort of has this that family dynamic and the the everything that's that's beautiful isn't always beautiful when you sort of get to the underside of it. So yeah all these people are damaged because of their family name and i i like that about this book so that is the heiresses by sarah Shepard.
0: i read the, <clears throat> some of those pretty little liar books and they were they were fun reads i could see
1: where this would they be are a good one extremely fun reads yeah. pretty pretty um unputdownable yeah. as far as a book that that sort of is is lots of fluff but right. you just you just have to find out who, who is. A is who is A?
0: Okay, my first one is Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. And like yours, this doesn't really have the tone of succession, but it is about extremely wealthy people. And it follows three women who are all part of the same family who live in Brooklyn and, as I said, very wealthy. Two of these three women are sisters, and then the third one is a sister-in-law. So she married into the family. And they are all – the book captures a moment where they are all – in a bit of um, reconciliation of their place, both in the family and with the money that this family has. So one sister had years before renounced her family's fortune. She's married, her husband has been very successful and she has said, "I I don't need to be beholden to this vast fortune, we're gonna make our own way. And so now she has a couple of kids and her husband has gotten himself into a situation where he no longer has this this job or this career anymore that is bringing in the money that they thought it was going to, and so now she's sort of wondering, what did she do? Did she give up this money or or put? Up, and now I'm I'm questioning if that's correct. If she actually gave up the money, or she just put it off to some future retirement kind of thing, where she said they didn't need it now, is what I'm kind of remembering. And then you have the youngest sister who is kind of just a party girl go with the flow she doesn't really have ambition she's not very driven she works for a nonprofit, but really just kind of for the kids because of her connections because she can get wealthy people to attend the donor dinners and stuff like that Um, but she doesn't really care about it and and just likes to be seen and um, and then she's also in a very ill-advised love affair and then she has an interaction and learns about somebody and then interacts with them who makes her question everything about what she was doing with her life, basically, and, and the possibilities of what she could be doing with her money uh, or, or how her family approaches money um, that makes her really reconsider all of that. And then you have Sasha, who's the woman who married into the family. And she sort of, sort of serves as the reader surrogate because she's the outsider and looking in on these people and scratching her head about about the things they do and why they do them but she and her husband were gifted the family's home on pineapple street in brooklyn as a wedding gift and they're living there and she isn't very comfortable there she doesn't it doesn't feel like her house she wants to change things about it but the matriarch of the family won't let her pretty much and the family is always there because they consider it their house so it's just an awkward position for a new wife to be in this scenario where she doesn't feel comfortable pretty much all the time and she knows that the two sisters refer to her as the gold digger even though she signed as prenup before she got married and so it's all this sort of not cattiness but just this this feeling this undercurrent of tension between the different um, members of the family so it's a very entertaining glimpse into the lives of wealthy people. I wouldn't say these are terrible wealthy people because I think that the author does a pretty good job of showing you from the three women's perspectives why why they're relatable, even in spite of their tremendous wealth. Um, And so as a reader, you can kind of get into their heads and understand what they're grappling with. Um, And even though, obviously, I mean, I don't know. I don't know your life, but I will never have that kind of wealth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But even still, I found myself feeling for the characters, you know, wondering, well, what would I do in that situation, that sort of feeling. So they're very relatable in that way, even if you can't relate to – to the problems necessarily that they face. You can co- sort of put yourself in their shoes. This reminded me a lot of The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney, which yeah, yeah. came out maybe 10 years ago now. So if you did read that, it was a very popular book at the time. I think that this one might, and if you, re- if you read that and you liked it, I think this one would be a good one
1: to pick up. And that's Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. I, lo- I ended up looking up sort of read-alikes for su- Succession just because I mainly I wanted to see if anything jogged my memory yeah. that I had read already and and uh <laughs> didn't have to go through all of my goodreads looking for stuff right that, that uh came up and this one and the nest were both yeah. usually the top of the list so yeah. I was glad when I saw you were talking about this one
0: what's funny to me about the nest is I'm almost positive that the whole fight is about a $250,000 nest egg which <laughs> is a significant amount of money but in comparison to what wealthy people like some like people in succession i mean you're literally talking millions millions and millions and millions of dollars and i just remember the time being like i don't know i think that was the point of the nest i mean not that we're talking about the nest but the part of the point was it wasn't necessarily an enormous amount of money but it was it was life-changing in in each of their lives for whatever (laughs) they needed it for Um, yeah yeah. anyway but it's just that's funny to reflect on that now because i'm like you can barely buy a house for two hundred fifty. Right.
1: <laughs> Which is a sad oh, state don't of... remind me. I know. I'm sorry. It's a
0: sad state of affairs, but it's true. Okay. What's your next one?
1: Um, next is Appointment with Death by Agatha Christie and Apologies, because I know I talked about a Christie in the last episode, but that was a while ago, <laughs> and this is actually the very first book I've thought of when we decided on this topic, and it was just too perfect of a fit to not uh, include. So. It starts out in Egypt when Poirot is staying in a hotel and he overhears a conversation one night um, just outside. And it's two people discussing someone else in their family. And they say, you do see, don't you, that she's got to be killed. And so he's, yeah, so he's, he of course notices this because it's Poirot, um, but he can't do anything about it. There's, he can't go. Ask someone what did this mean, and so he just sort of forgets about it. But then he's in proximity in the hotel to you know he goes to dinner and he uh, comes across this family called the Boyntons. and um, they're very clearly quite dysfunctional. So it's seven several adult siblings, and there I think are a couple of spouses in there. Um, they're not all married and they're all overseen by their mother mrs boynton who has total control over them and poirot figures out that most of them are actually her stepchildren and only the youngest daughter is her own child and she's i think uh older teenager or somewhere in there. Um, So Mrs. Boynton dictates every aspect of these people's lives, and they all resent her and even would say that they hate her, but they haven't been able to ever find freedom from her because she controls all their family money. But it's beyond just control. She's actually quite sadistic, and she plays mind games with them and mentally abuses them, and she really finds a lot of pleasure in that. So um, the way, you know, any Christie book goes, there's lots of people that are also in the hotel. And, and so they all are sort of one big giant group of suspects. Um, of it. And so the, the murder hasn't happened yet. But eventually everyone goes on a big excursion to Petra, which is that city that's famous for being carved into canyon walls that's, that's now in uh, the country Jordan. So everyone is out exploring the site and Uh, They separate from each other and Mrs. Boynton is in a chair in the sun a little ways away, but when it's time for... Uh, dinner, she's called in, but she doesn't respond to any of the calls. And so the, the, she, the group goes to investigate and finds that she's dead, but it's impossible that any of them could have killed her because they were all coupled up together in these various locations. So Poirot is called in to solve the murder. So of course, the reason I thought about this is because it's just an insane amount of an emotional abuse that I've seen on the first few episodes oh, yeah. of Succession from uh, Logan Roy. He's, he's pretty terrible to his family and enjoys being terrible to them. Mm -hmm. And so that reminded me so much of Mrs. Boynton and how they're, um, both characters are so interested in showing and proving to their children that they're in control and that they never want them to actually be fully functioning adults and see them as a, as competition in a, a weird way and really don't want to lose the pleasure of knocking them down. And so, um, I read this uh, a few months ago, and I was really surprised to find a character like this in a British traditional mystery because it's something we usually see in more literary fiction or a show like Succession. Um, so it really stood out to me as being just a very, very unusual character to to portray mental and psychological abuse in that way. But they are peas in a pod: Logan Roy and Mrs. Boynton. <laughs> they they are t- truly terrible people. So if you are a fan of mysteries, then this is a book that I think. Uh, and, and also love succession. Yeah. I think this is one that would just, that would definitely resonate with you, and that is Appointment with Death by Agatha Christie. That sounds very much on, on track for that character. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, my next one is a little bit of an older book, but when I thought of it, I thought I was kind of proud of myself, Anne, because I thought this was such a good fit. However, I read it such a long time ago that I don't remember very many of the details, so I apologize. I'm going to be a little bit vague, but I think I'll hit on the highlights that you'll know if you'll first of all know why it's like a succession read alike, and also if it's for you. So it's called A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley. Have you read? Oh, this? that's a, no, but it's a good
1: comparison because yeah. it's because
0: it's King Lear, right? Right. So it's an adaptation of King lots Lear. Lots of stuff
1: in Succession that are like that. Too. Yes,
0: and it is set in the late nineteen seventies in Iowa, and it's. Um, there is a farm that has been in the family for generations, and the father, his name is Larry, he announces one day, um, when he's had a lot to drink, that he is going to leave the farm to his three daughters. And two of them are married and one is not, and the two that are married are very eager for this to happen. Their father has been a bit of a tyrant their whole lives and he's very difficult. And they felt like they've been under his thumb, just waiting for the opportunity that they can take over the farm someday. So they've really been just biding their time. And so they're more than ready for him to say the farm is theirs. But there's one daughter who is an attorney and so she is does not have this same interest in the farm that the two who were married that are farmers you know that they they were looking forward to this and she she is reluctant to to go along with this plan that he's going to give the farm to all of them so the story goes along we start learning about some long buried secrets that come to the surface we learn about some manipulation and different things that have happened we've learned some pretty terrible things that the father has done in the way he has treated the daughters and why why this becomes so fraught so quickly and some infighting that happens between the daughters. If you've read King Lear, it very much matches much of that play, including, well, I don't want to say there's like a big, a big event at the end that, that matches, that mirrors the book and the play. In my opinion, Succession is very much in that same vein. You know, it plays, at times, Logan plays the kids against each other to mm-hmm. try to get them fighting against each other or to see who's going to be loyal to him. Uh, and that's very much like King Lear. It's very much like this book. And this is just set in the 70s on a farm in Iowa instead of New York City in the 2000s. But um, but there are a lot of similarities to the tone. This is a little bit more bleak, I would say, and dark. I mean, Succession's very dark, but it also had moments of humor Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I don't recall there being much of that in this book, but again, I read it so long ago. I read it in the late '90s, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall if there's humor to it. But that's not the lasting impression I have. So so it doesn't have some of those lighter moments. Succession has, but I think it it taps into some the more dramatic parts of it. And again, that family drama that is just rife in Succession. So that is a thousand acres by Jane Smiley. So basically,
1: there's no Tom in this. There's in this no Tom book. or Greg yeah. Well, oh, I love is... them so much.
0: <laughs> there is sort of because of the husbands, but so they're like the side characters. But yeah, but yeah, just wait,
1: just wait, just wait. Oh, I can't wait for more of them. They're the best. They're the best. <laughs> that's
0: the, that's the love story that uh, the true love story
1: of Succession is Tom and Greg. <laughs> what's your last uh, one okay last is the fiance farce by Alexandra. oh i want to read this yeah this is a little bit of left field but i just finished it and i think it does work as a read-alike for uh for mystery or i'm sorry for uh, romance lovers who also love succession i think this fits in so the the premise is extremely over the top um it's about a woman named tansy who manages A family-owned bookstore and she um the bookstore was started by her grandfather and passed down to her dad but then her dad died and left it to her stepmother and she wants to now sell it and tansy is horrified by that because the bookstore is her entire identity so they're the book starts when they're at a family wedding and tansy is being badgered by everyone about being there alone. So she makes up the name of a girlfriend based on the the model that's on the cover of the romance novels that she enjoys. And she's taken pictures of her um, and saved them on her phone. And so someone assumes, one of her friends actually assumes that that's the girlfriend that she's she's uh, been hiding. But then the model from the covers walks into the wedding. And her name is Gemma, and she is the cousin of the groom. And so... Tansy's in a really terrible position because she's already had this conversation. They know who her her supposed girlfriend is, and um, and so she has to she has to figure out what to do. But then Gemma ends up going along with it, and so Tansy is completely confused about why she'd do that. And when they're alone, Gemma says that she needs Tansy to marry her to marry her to inherit her family's uh media business that her grandfather left to her with a stipulation that she had to be married by a certain date and stay married for two years and the deadline to get married is only a few weeks away before the company goes to Gemma's cousin uh who is the groom and he is just the worst so Tansy agrees to do this if Gemma will buy the bookstore for her and so they'll each get something that they are very emotionally invested in and so um this is pretty much the most ridiculous of fake relationship <laughs> premises, but but I actually enjoy that a lot more because so many I don't like fake relationship as a trope very much because so many of them are like we have to pretend to be dating so my grandfather right. is, is okay with the, like so, like things that just don't resonate right. with me because it's so ridiculous so I want it to be. A, even more ridiculous if you're going to do that, and so that's how this this felt for me, which I enjoyed. But this made me think about Succession because of the family business that Gemma is trying to save, mm-hmm. and the family her family is awful, and they uh, are very demeaning to her for being a woman and for modeling at, to um, to make money as as like as a side thing. Mm-hmm and they all want the family business for their own purposes and so the cousin that she's trying to save the business from is um, basically only wants to lay off all the employees and then sell the business to cash in on it and Gemma's father and her uncle each have their own terrible motives and they don't care at all about the the family integrity but they just want to make names for themselves and to make money and Gemma is actually invested in honoring her father's or her sorry her grandfather's wishes and maintaining the legacy of the newspapers that they own and treating their employees fairly that they've they've had for decades so it's a very very different style than succession obviously Mm -hmm. but the the fighting between the family members and sort of the connections and um alliances that they're making together against other people when it suits them is um very very reminiscent of the royal Roy family Mm -hmm. and how they're essentially all in it for themselves so there's a lot of uh, boardroom machinations and you find about out about secret plans that they have to undermine each other but it's all sort of on the 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 underlying drama of this romance that's that's brewing between these two women so it's it's pretty fun it's pretty goofy but it's pretty fun fun. it sounds really fun Uh, so that is the fiance farce by Alexandria Belfour
0: I agree that fake relationships don't tend to work that well. But when they're done well, I think they're so fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that, I think, but that's I'm like lean into it. Right, Why are you not leaning into it? Right. And this one really leans into it. Yeah.
0: So. I do like that. The Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez, which I talked about a few months ago. I really, really loved it. Oh, I'm and looking there, at that one right now. Oh, are you? There yeah. was a fake relationship in that one that I to me was actually believable because the the hero's brother is marrying his ex-girlfriend and everybody in the family is really worried about how he's handling it and so he he says it would really help me if I brought a, a girl or a woman to all these wedding events so nobody worries about me like he's very mm-hmm. concerned that people are just going to be focused on him and he wants to be about his brother and his ex-girlfriend anyway so and, and that I could see I was like okay I could kind of see that but yeah sometimes it's it's so silly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I like it either. Yeah, if they go for super, super far-fetched and just you have to run with it because it's fun, or yeah. it has to be more believable. But sometimes they try to tread the middle ground. It doesn't work so well.
1: Yeah. All
0: right, my last one is *Trust* by Hernan Diaz, and this book is is stylistically. A little bit complex, and I'm, I'm, worried, I'm worried that my description is just going to confuse everybody. So I'm trying to simplify <laughs> it as much as possible and just get to the heart of what it's about. Okay, So it's told in four parts, and the first part is a novel. It's a portion of a novel that is about an extremely wealthy, reclusive man who made his money in the stock market and becomes one of the richest men in the United States in the 20th century. that's a novel. (laughs) The second part is a partial memoir by a man named Andrew Bevel who closely resembles the fictional main character from the first part that's the novel. And he is now, Andrew, is now writing his memoir to set the record straight because he feels like the novel disparaged him. Following so far? Okay.
1: So then the
0: third part is a memoir or notes, and, and it's, it's a memoir, I guess, of a female journalist who is pulled into a scheme by Andrew Bevel, who's the real person in the real financier, uh, financier uh, to, uh, <laughs> and he wants to ruin the life of the author of the novel from the first part because of what he did. So the third part is this outsider perspective that's gotten sucked into this man's world. All right. And then the last part is the diary of his wife, of the real guy's wife. All right. Okay. So it's it's one of those puzzle box stories where you don't see the whole story until the end. So sort of like a cloud atlas or something like that, but not quite as complicated. I mean, while you're Mm -hmm. reading it, it's very clear whose perspective it is and what it, it just builds on each Each story builds on it so that by the end you have this full understanding of this man who was incredibly wealthy and what his legacy was and how he got to be so wealthy and the things he did that were maybe not so great or not so bad on the people that he impacted on the the way to his success um so it's, it's just it's it's very much a in line with succession about kind of stomping on people to get ahead but maybe sometimes you think that's the right thing to do or that's the only way to move forward part of it is i think if this were just a straightforward story it would probably be interesting but part of it that makes it so compelling is that as you're reading it, you're forming different pictures of this person. And so mm-hmm. what you learn in one part, say, about his wife, then is revealed in the fourth part when it's her diaries. And so you, you, you have to read it as a whole to understand all of the pieces. And so it's just fascinating. And it's a really interesting and incisive look at Capitalism in the United States and the history of capitalism in the United States told through this one person's story. So that is Trust by
1: Hernan Diaz. I have that on my shelf right next to me that I've I wanted to read last year and then realized yeah. it was too literary. And, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely uh, it's, it sounds really, really good. Yeah, it's
0: definitely literary. It was one that I wasn't sure that would be for me because I don't <laughs> I don't always like books that books that make me think too hard to <laughs> To appreciate the story. I mean, a lot of times I'm reading for escape. And it's not that I'm reading, I don't read hard subject matter. But I don't want it to be a chore to read. I don't want it to be a chore to actually comprehend the words on the page. And so I was a little bit worried because all of the reviews did exactly what I just did and talked about the structure more than the story. And so I was a little bit worried that I was going to get bogged down in being confused about the structure or or however the story was presented but it's not it's not like that it's a very readable story um and then at the end you're just sort of like oh yeah i see how it all comes together now and i don't know it was it it was really good so i would recommend once you have time to once you have time to pick it up i would recommend reading it (laughs) okay so that's it for our succession books we will be right back with what we're reading this week
1: Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I actually finished it last night, but it is Going Zero by Anthony McCartan. And it's not at all a book I would normally pick up, but it was a fun... I actually listened to it. It was a fun listen. Um, So it is... So lots of characters in it but um, the, the starting character is a tech wunderkind named Cy Baxter who has created the ultimate surveillance program called Fusion that he is trying to market to the US government as a national security tool and it has there's huge stakes involved because it would if he does this successfully he will get a 10-year 100 billion dollar contract and have access to all levels of intelligence that the, the US government has control of and so he is going to beta test fusion on 10 americans and they will need to go zero which is to live off the grid and if they can beat fusions tracking for one month and not get caught they will get three million dollars cash Ooh. so some of the beta testers are other tech experts that you'd sort of expect to be interested in something like this. Um, some are regular people with know-how, but one of them is a Boston librarian named Caitlin Day, and she just doesn't seem to fit the mold of the other participants. So when she was added to the this group, she was it was fully expected by both Cy Baxter and the rest of his team that she would be the first catch and that she's has no hope essentially of outwitting them. So when she's given the signal that the The project is starting she is basically spotted immediately and it's almost as though she isn't trying to hide and she's openly walking down the street in boston but then and they're they're sort of closing in on her and then she goes into a business and then she's gone and they can't find her so the team is completely shocked that someone as unsophisticated as a librarian would be (laughs) able to slip past their technology and there's lots and lots of jokes about that of how is this librarian doing this um, but then it keeps happening. She she clearly has a lot of knowledge on how to evade them and how to evade the all the drones and the um, the videos that are are being taken of people all the time and the the ways that their devices are listening to them. She knows how to get past this. But there's nothing in her past that can explain those abilities. So as the story goes on, we learn more about what is motivating Caitlin to participate in this test when she's such an outlier um, compared to the other participants. So. Like I said, it's very much not my my kind of book, but it's been very compelling to listen to. I especially love the librarian oh. side of it, of course, but it has some great twists. And Cy Baxter is just one of those, you love to hate him because he's just so much of the stereotype of every horrible tech bro you've ever uh, read about. <laughs> he's pretty insufferable, but it's very reminiscent of the thrillers that used to come out in the 90s, which is sort of, they've, they've fallen out of favor yeah. for more psychological st- stuff. So if you like- uh, Michael Crichton, or John Grisham, or Robin Cook, or the, those types of authors that were really big in the, um, I'd say, yeah, I mean, maybe late late 80s yeah. and 90s, um, they're they they're much more reminiscent of that kind of book. So that is Going Zero by Anthony McCartan. It's funny, because I'm always on a quest to find books that Jeremy might like,
0: and oh, I always yeah. think Michael Crichton would be one, but, but back in the day, I don't know what he, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. pay attention to what he writes now, but I always think, oh, I feel like he would like the, have liked those books. Like, he would have right. loved Jurassic Park at the time. Right, I right, feel right.
1: Like. Yeah, Go, give this one to him. Yeah,
0: and actually we were just having this conversation about going back for, like, the last 20 or 30 years and I should look back at all the books that I think he should read because he didn't, he was, it wasn't even a... On his radar to be reading anything. So, like Gone Girl, he read on our honeymoon because when I learned he hadn't seen the movie, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to read Gone Girl. And he really, really liked it. So, anyway, so that's just, I was telling it, we were talking about the Hunger Games and he's never seen the movies or read the books. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have to read at least the first book and then we'll watch the movies. Um, Yeah,
1: that's super fun. Anyway,
0: but so this, anyway, this is a little side, side comment, but I think that he might like this one. What I am reading this week is Hello, Beautiful by Ann Napolitano, and I feel like this book has just gotten lots and lots of enduring buzz this year. I yeah. feel like even before it came out, it was being talked about, and then it came out in March, I think, and still even last week I was with my family and my sister asked if I had read it because she keeps hearing about it and so I just feel like it has a lot of people talking about it but I was I don't exactly know why I was kind of reluctant to pick it up and finally when my sister asked me I thought you know I need to just I need to read this because everybody's everybody likes it too it's not just people are talking about it people really love it so I thought I should I should pick it up and I'm about maybe two-thirds done, and so far I'm very, very glad I picked it up. Although I will say it took me a minute to get into it. It pr- took me probably 50 to 100 pages to feel invested. And then at about halfway through is really when it kicked into high gear for me of feeling like, oh, I get why people really love this book. So yeah. just just a little for for warning to anyone who's gonna pick it up is I I didn't feel the love right off the bat. I thought, oh, this is good, and it's well written, all these things, but I didn't I didn't love it until now I'm loving it. So in case you don't know, it is inspired by Little Women. And you don't have to know Little Women, I don't think, at all to appreciate this book. It really does stand on its own, but you can definitely see the influences of it. And it's not a straight Adaptation like A Thousand Acres was of King Lear. I mean, it it, it has some similarities, but it's de- it's definitely not just a recreation of Little Women in modern times. And in fact, they even reference Little Women at different parts. So, she's in on the joke. You know, I mean, she's talking about she knows <laughs> that people are going to get this little re- this Little Women references. It is about four sisters living in Chicago and it starts in the early 80s and where I am, it's a few years past the start of it, maybe Five years. So I don't know how much it goes into the future, but it definitely spans a fair bit of time in, in these la- the lives of these sisters. And they have never really needed anyone but each other. They have kind of a loud, chaotic, boisterous Italian family. Their, their mother and their father didn't have the best relationship, but they, they loved their father, they loved their mother, but they, they were both kind of strong personalities, and so sometimes they butted heads. Um, but they, they have just a very loving household. And the oldest is Julia. And when she goes to college, she meets a boy named William. And right off the bat, pretty much, she decides this is the guy for me. We're going to date and then we're going to get married. Julia is a very take charge person. And this is what she decides. And so she pulls William into the family's orbit and they, they pretty much accept him and embrace him as one of their own as soon as Julia decides that that he's for her, because that's just the way their family is. It's like, okay, now you're part of the family, we take care of each other. But William had a very difficult childhood. His sister, he had a sister, an older sister who died right when he was born from the flu or pneumonia. It's not quite clear, but something, she caught something and, and dies. And so his parents were always very distant with William and, and did not provide a loving home for him. And so he's always felt just a bit on his own. Like he, he hasn't, he hasn't had that family support and he also deals with some mental health issues. He has, he has some depression, although he doesn't necessarily see it that way. He just thinks that that's sort of what life is like because his parents had similar, had similar things going on with them. And so he doesn't recognize it as um, depression, but he does. So if you, I would, I would actually shy away from reading the back cover or uh, reviews of this book because I think they give too much away because they give stuff away that doesn't happen until probably close to 200 pages into the book. And so I'm not going to say more about it. I'll just say that William's depression causes some changes to the trajectory of the sisters' lives. And so you see kind of the fallout of that and and what that does. So as I said, I'm about maybe two-thirds of the way through. I'm absolutely loving it. I just am so taken with it. When I sit down to read it, I just am completely absorbed in the characters. There's a a really strong emotional resonance. Like there's just something about the way the story is written that you just feel for the characters and what they are going through. And I don't know, I just find it, I just find it really absorbing and I understand why people are praising it so much. So that is Hello Beautiful by Ann Napolitano. Okay, let's go back and list off all the books we talked
1: about today. Okay, I talked about The Heiresses by Sarah Shepard, Appointment with Death by Agatha Christie, The Fiancé Farce by Alexandria Belle Fleur, and what I am reading this week is Going Zero by Anthony McCartan. And I talked about Pineapple
0: Street by Jenny Jackson, A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley, Trust by Hernan Diaz, and what I was reading this week, or what I am reading this week, is Hello Beautiful by Ann Napolitano. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback on a or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. And do we need to be on threads? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I haven't even explored it yet. I just see everybody on my Instagram keeps posting about it. Please rate and review us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find the show. We appreciate that. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and all episodes. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. And let us know if you have any succession thoughts. I want to hear them. (laughs) Don't spoil it for Anne. Just DM me on Instagram or something out (laughs) here. All right. Bye, all.